Welcome to the VITV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. Great. In this episode, we are going to talk about the risk associated with owning Alibaba and the valuation. All right. So before we get started, Hari, quick disclaimer, please. Yeah, this is the VITV podcast. We're a podcast that... Um, entertains and educates you about the concepts behind value investing. We are not uh, financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment decisions. Awesome. So Alibaba, just to quickly recap, it's a company most of you guys know, but it's it's basically think of Amazon in China. They have a huge retail business, but they also have a thriving cloud business. Uh, they're expanding outside of China into Southeast Asia and to Middle East. Um, they have a very long-term vision. Uh, they're currently listed in American Exchange, uh, exchange, so you can get your hands on Alibaba stocks uh, easily like that. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the risk and the valuation. So let's get started. Risk. So what are some risks uh, risk associated with this company, Hari? Yeah, so normally when we we get to this point in the um, discussion, we're talking about you know business related risks and things like that. But the the overarching concern that most people have, and if you've looked at the stock price over the last three or four years, you've seen it slowly trend downward. And anytime there's new news from the you know Chinese government, um, it tends to hit the uh, Alibaba and many other Chinese stocks pretty hard. So, you know, unlike the U.S., uh, you know, Chinese Chinese economy is kind of very tightly controlled by the Chinese government. And we've seen, uh, you know, there was a re- real uh, realty group called Ever Evergrande um, in China that owned a huge percentage of, uh, they had like $300 billion in debt and owned a large, uh, you know, amount of real estate across, you know, China. Um, and you know, they, they ended up going into default because of, you know, bankruptcy and things like that, uh, because they couldn't, they can no longer make their debt, you know, payments. Um, and that's going to have a huge ripple effect on, you know, China's economy and so forth. China has become, you know, under president G has become more controlling of the economy as, as, um, G has been made named dictator for life and things like that. Um, and what that has ended up doing is they're meddling more and more in the economy. So um, Ant Financial was one of the, you know, homegrown kind of initiatives from Alibaba that, um, you know, was a facilitator of payments. It had a lot of features, um, you know, people were using it for health insurance in some ways. You know, there was a lot of things that were going on with it. The Chinese government got very uncomfortable because it represented a huge percentage of transactions between people. And Alibaba was not um, as forthcoming as they want, as the Chinese government wanted to be with, you know, that. So they kind of pulled back the curtain on Ant Group. Ant Group was going to have its own IPO and China kind of shut it all down. And so now Ant Group is an unconsolidated related party, um, which uh, is, you know, it's hard to know what to do with that. And for our purposes, I'm kind of not even going to, you know, to go there. But 
really what, what we have to be concerned about is China gets uncomfortable with the size and scope of Alibaba and starts putting um, limitations on its growth. Um, they may start, um, the regulators may not uh, approve any uh, purchases by Alibaba of competitors and things like that. Because when you get to a certain size, one of the ways that you compete is buying out your competitors. Um, and if Alibaba isn't able to do that, then you know that means that there's they're not going to have the same um, ability to compete with smaller, more nimble companies. So, you know, there are definitely benefits to their scale, their size, and so forth. But I think one of the biggest risks is that size and scale is now a detriment, you know, in the eyes of regulators in China. And what will that do in the next five to 10 years? It may be nothing. It may be fairly significant. It may mean that they have to break up the cloud business from, um, you know, the retail business. It may mean that there are significant changes that they may have to do, or they may have to divest of international businesses to, to you know, compete, you know, with the regulatory market. It's very hard to say. Um, and then from an investment perspective, one of the concerns is that China is saying that you can't be, you know, listing your uh, stocks in China, you know, on on our exchanges as well as the American exchanges or foreign exchanges, um, and so they may actually want to delist them from the United States exchanges. Now, a lot of people see that and they get very concerned because they say delisting means you know it's on the pink sheets or something like that. I won't have access to my shares. The, from from a practical standpoint, what it would mean is. If you were to purchase the stock, you would have that in your brokerage account. And depending on your broker, they may uh, require you to um, you know, transfer your shares to the Hong Kong, Hong Kong exchange or something like that. And then that means that there's a lot less liquidity. So if your broker deals with the Hong Kong exchange and you own shares, they may have to sell those shares in Hong Kong, which may take, instead of a few milliseconds after you click the button to sell, it may take weeks for that to transaction to clear. Um, so there's a lot of concern with people who are speculating in, you know, um, in the Chinese economy and the Chinese markets. Um, and, and so that ends up kind of pushing down, you know, the value of this company. Now, that's actually a good thing for us, right? Because we're seeing this company now, and we'll talk about the financials here in a minute. Um, but those are kind of the risks, right? Um, that you have to deal with. Um, and as the price, you know, goes down, you know, how does that, how do you feel about those risks and, you know, what are those risks entail, you know, for you as an, as an investor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to recap really quick, I think you mentioned kind of two, largely two different kind of risks here. One is the Chinese government cracking down on Chinese companies so that they can't grow into this kind of monopolistic, companies that dominate and dictate a particular segment of the market, which Chinese government, from their perspective, it's a threat to their supremacy over the over the people and over the market. So yep. that's obviously a big risk. One, number two is the delisting, delisting uh, aspect of it at the moment. Um, we'll see how that kind of shakes out. But that's been kind of hammering the price of Chinese companies listed here in the U.S. exchanges. Um, but I, you know, I see that as kind of a temporary thing. The bigger risk, the more fundamental risk, is what is what is the 
you know, what is going, what is the landscape going to look like when the Chinese government crack down on these tech companies even harder, right? I mean, will they do that? You know, is that even something that they're going to do? Like, will they let Alibaba continue to grow like this? Are they comfortable with that? That's that to me. That feels like a more fundamental problem, or more, more fundamental risk that you have to kind of manage here. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Should we move on to? I guess before we talk about that, let's quickly touch on. We talked about this in the last episode, but let's quickly touch on the key man risk. Uh, Alibaba's uh, founder, Jack Ma, disappearing. Uh, just really quickly, just touch on this point, uh, if you could, Hari. Yeah, so he is no longer involved in the day-to-day operations of the business. And I think a lot of people associated, like they do with uh, Bezos, right? They associated Jack Ma with the company. Um, to me, that risk is kind of gone, right? I, I think <clears throat> he's he's been out of operations for long enough now that the business is doing really well. You know, it's continuing to grow. The cloud business is growing, you know, and I think his, his day-to-day involvement had minimal impact, you know, because they had so many other capable people running the business um, that you don't really need him to be uh, around, right, you know, for this. So he may not be the face of the company anymore, but that may be actually a a neutral thing, I think, in my opinion at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Let's move on to the next topic, which is valuation. Obviously, this is a very, very complicated business uh, with yeah. many, many different verticals. And with companies like that, it's very difficult to assign valuation just because each different, each businesses have different, you know, different characteristics. But uh, perhaps you can kind of walk us through your assumptions and how you came to the valuation uh, that you did. Yeah, so I started with an initial cash flow of around $35 billion. Um, so it's very hard to estimate their free cash flow for a lot of different reasons. They don't break down maintenance capex and uh, investment capex very clean, cleanly. Um, so, you know, I use their operating cash flow as the as the as the number that I started with. And even though that may be less than conservative than saying you know taking off some percentage, the reality is I di- I don't know what percentage to take. Um, and so what, I, what I'm doing is going to be more uh, constrained with the growth, growth rate. Um, so initial cash flow of $35 billion, uh, Remember, this is a company with a market cap of um, $300 billion. Um, growth rate has, for the last you know, long periods of time, have been north of you know, 25%. Um, and you know, I think they're, as I said before, the cloud business is really going to drive growth going forward. Sorry, um, Harry. This is this is twenty five percent year year over year growth on the on the top line. The on the top flow? line, yes. Okay. Uh, and and cash flow has been okay. north of uh, their cash flow has been growing faster actually. Okay. <clears throat> but I'm gonna I'm gonna use a conservative for the years one through five a growth rate of twenty percent. Um, so I, I, I think that's, you know, kind of the, the, um, bear case is that they, they grow at 25 per 20%. And for year six through 10, I'm only going to use 10%. Um, so discount rate is always 10% and they have 2.6 billion shares outstanding. 
if you're using the American depository shares, the ADRs. Um, and so what that gives me is a um, intrinsic value of $414 a share and a margin of safety price of $207 a share. Um, <clears throat> so for comparison, um, they're currently trading at around $114 a share at the time of this recording. Um, so I, I think they're significantly undervalued, right? Um, based on this, you know, and if you look at, uh, you know, I, I know there are lots of value investors who have, who have bought this company at $200 a share, $250 a share, thinking it was cheap. Uh, at $114, the price keeps going down but the value continues to grow, right? In my opinion, it's the cloud business is going to be much larger than it is today. The retail business is going to continue to grow and spin off a lot of cash. Um, they're going to continue to expand into new areas in Southeast Asia, Turkey. Um, their AliExpress site is growing at a you know fairly rapid clip. Um, so you're just going to see more, more and more users, you know, uh, of their services more and more businesses adopt their services over time. You know, their, their 2036 target of 2 billion in users uh, uh, or consumers of their, their platform is, I don't think is unreasonable. You know, they're already at close to a billion of them. Um, so, I mean, if you're buying a company like this, even if it's delisted, does it really matter to you? You know, like you're buying this for the long term. You're getting it at a fairly discounted price. They dis they generate a ton of cash flow. I don't see any ex existential risk for this company. They're too large for that, right? So really, the the risk is: does China cut the growth rate by you know limiting their ability to acquire businesses and things like that? I think those are much higher, more likely to you know to happen. But I, I still think you know just the size and scope of this company is going to let them grow for the next five to 10 years at a pretty, pretty good clip. What do you think is pushing the price down so much? Well, we, talked I, about, we talked about some of them, but if you yeah, could kind of I, just I think bullet the, point them. The biggest to me is the overall China overhang, right? Is companies are, you know, investors are pulling money out of China because they just don't have a lot of faith in it. One of the things we didn't talk about is <clears throat> the Chinese... Uh, investor is very short-term, you know, nature uh, thinker. So they, they don't tend to invest in the long-term kind of, you know, of companies in the, in their own space. And remember they are traded in, in Hong Kong. So a lot of people use speculative kind of, you know, investments, you know, you know, speculative uh, trades, you know, uh, with companies like this. And so they don't keep their money in, in these stocks whenever they see bad, you know, signs, they start pulling away, you know, from the business. So to me, those are the kind of the biggest like overhangs for the company. Um, and then there's every day, there's some trickle of this or some trickle of that, which really punishes the stock. But if you look, you know, we're talking about a business that's generating about 30 to 35 billion in, in free cash flow, and it's 300 million billion dollar market cap, you it's know, 10x. 10, yeah, 10 or less, you know, free cash flow. And even if we were pretty conservative with their actual free cash flow and said it was 25 billion, right? It's still pretty cheap, you know, 12, 12 times free cash flow. 
you're not going to find an Amazon trading at that level, right? But yet people are happy to put their money in Amazon. I think China's version of that is just as good, um, you know, an investment. So mm-hmm. what do you think about, obviously, this is just kind of broad criticism against Chinese companies. How would you think about the the integrity of their numbers? So I think at, a, at the size and scale that you're talking about here, it's pretty hard for them to be, you know, faking a hundred billion dollars in revenue, you know, even if they're off by a couple billion here and there, it's not materially impacting the, you know, other than the reputation, right? I'm not very concerned about that because I think it's pretty hard for them to, um, you know, kind of fudge these. If, If there is any issues here, it's much smaller, you know, kind of impact to their, their company, right? And I also think that, you know, they've gotten to this size and scope because of, you know, savvy financial decisions. They generate tons of cash flow that are auditable, right? The the cash on the balance sheet and so forth is auditable. So it's pretty hard for me to say, you know, I wouldn't trust it. Much smaller companies, sure, you'd need to be a lot more careful about, but not Mm -hmm. not a company this size. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, any other last uh, parting words about Alibaba? Right. Yeah, like I talked about in the last episode, I'd, I'd encourage people to read this one, even though it's a complex business. It's a it's a well um, laid out plan. Um, they talk in great depth about their own risk factors, um, you know, which is worth perusing and seeing how the company responds to that. Um, you know, Wall Street's kind of, response to the, um, their annual investor day was pretty lukewarm, which I am I'm frankly shocked by because they, they're just, it's a machine that's printing money. I don't know why you wouldn't want to, um, you know, to invest at this price. Right. Um, especially when we're talking about with conservative estimates, almost a 50% discount to their margin of safety price and a, you know, 75% discount to their intrinsic value. So, this is a you know a company that should probably be a trillion dollar business is trading at three hundred billion dollars you know yeah it, it's uh, the, the China the China discount yeah um, so we'll see uh, we'll see how that how, to, how that materializes um, in the coming weeks coming months great thanks uh, thanks Harry for the rundown um, if you guys would like a copy of the checklist please email us at info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, and we do have a Slack channel that we run. And so if you'd like to be part of the Slack channel where we post interesting articles, talk about different stocks, uh, if you have any questions about the podcast, uh, that's where you can find us and reach uh, 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 fellow listeners, value, uh, fellow investors there. So if you'd like to be part of that community, also in, in, email us at info at valueinvestor.org. All right. Yeah, thanks, everybody. And um you know, we, we're making a push on YouTube. So, you know, please like, comment and subscribe. That really helps us, um, you know, beat the uh, YouTube algorithm and help us grow this. Um, I think we have a lot of good things coming in 2022. And, you know, uh, I want, you know, we want to keep this thing going. So, you know, help us out by, um, you know, participating in one of the many areas that Becco mentioned. Awesome. Sounds great. 
Well, thanks everybody for listening. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Bye.